Hello and welcome to episode four of Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. Over recent months, a number of demonstrations by far-right racist organisations like the so-called Democratic Football Lads Alliance have taken place. This is a big concern to all socialists and working class people. It's initiated discussion and debate on the current state and strength of the far right, as well as what type of movement can force these groups into retreat. The Socialist Party has a long and proud history of fighting the far right, so today we're going to look at some of these questions. Over to Sarah Rack. Okay, I'm here today with Paula Mitchell, who's the London Regional Secretary of the Socialist Party and a member of the Socialist Party's Executive Committee. Hi, Paula. Hello. Um, and we're going to be talking today about the far right, which I think is something that a lot of working class mm. and young people have got concerns about um, at the moment. Um, and I think it's really important for socialists to understand both from a strategic what's necessary perspective and also from kind of theoretically what is the, the far right and so on. Um, so we'd like to start with that kind of question really, Paula. Mm. So do you think, well, why do you think it's important mm. for that for socialists to try and understand what the far right is and how we can fight it? Mm. Well, I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people, especially young people, but not only young people, that look at what's happening around the world and they look at what's happening in Britain and they are fearful, particularly because we've had 10 years of austerity and the Tories um, giving the impression that they can uh, get away with whatever they want. We've had the Brexit vote. People look around the world and see wars. They see, you know, terrible crisis in the Middle East, the fear about nuclear war even, issues like we faced over the last few years with the refugee crisis. They see the election of Trump and the, the instability around the world that that's creating. And I think a lot of people are fearful about the potential rise or the actual rise of nationalism of racism, the right, and, and correctly, people want to fight that. They want to stand against that. But that's why I think we think it's important to understand, to discuss and debate what these developments actually really do represent so that we can understand how to combat them. You know, in our view, it isn't just a question of just getting up and saying that it's wrong. We have to talk about what methods, what programme, what slogans, the tactics that are required. And I think that's particularly important at the moment because of how you know you can see that the world might be you could interpret the world is developing in that sort of direction or people fear that it is that there is this idea now that this is so big this is this is such a, a problem that we can't waste time debating we just need to put all our differences aside um, but we think that's a, a the, the wrong approach it's precisely in our view when something might be big or has the potential of getting to be a big issue that the discussion and the debate about what to do about it is so necessary. Yeah, and it's um, it's always been something that socialists have taken very seriously, isn't it, and tried to mm. analyse. Um, and part of that is the risk that the far right can pose to the workers' movement, which I'm sure we'll come on yeah. to discuss um, later. Um, and also the fact that the ideas of the far right can be so divisive to the working class, and socialists are about you know trying to strive for a united struggle um and so the ideas that are kind of destructive so that we have to be able to take them up yeah um so you mentioned there 
some of the big world developments that have made people um, fearful um, and and Trump being a big factor in that. There's also um, Orban uh, in Hungary as well. Um, So do developments like that, do you think, do they show that the right is on the rise internationally? Well, I think, as I said just now, we've had 10 years, 8, 10 years of austerity. It's been 10 years now since the world economic crisis after that the ruling classes the rich big business they set out to make the working class pay for that crisis and they have largely succeeded um, in getting working class and poor people across the world to pay a really really heavy price for that economic crisis and then when you think that austerity came on top of decades of neoliberal policies before that, of cuts, of privatisation, of driving down living standards, of of deregulation and so on. And workers have fought really heroically in many, many countries, particularly countries like Greece and Spain, where we've seen general strike after general strike. But in general, there have been huge battles. Workers have fought back to defend their jobs and their homes and their services but largely they've been let down by their leaderships, by the trade union leaders, but also by the parties that in the past they would have looked to, they would have seen parties like Blairite's Labour Party or like um, uh, PASOK in Greece, they'd have seen those parties as their parties that were meant to be in the interests of working class people and they've let them down um, and they've supported and implemented austerity um, as well. So there is this huge anger and it is seeking an outlet, it's seeking a voice. And I think we've seen electorally a rejection of those sorts of policies, a rejection of the capitalist establishment, politicians, people that are perceived as being the elite, the rich, that so-called centre ground, all these commentators who worry about the future of the liberal centre ground. Actually, that's that's the representation of these policies which people are now rejecting and we've seen that in there's been referendums on what on on a whole host of different issues also most recently the referendum for abortion rights in ireland we've seen the movements in catalonia we've seen the scottish independence referendum and and the eu referendum in britain was part of that where it was an opportunity to reject that capitalist um, establishment but we've also seen it in elections to parliaments as well over the last few years, again in Greece, in France, in Italy, in the US and and of course in Britain as well, where again there's been that rejection of the so-called centre ground. And I think there's been, rather than it being a a rise of the right, it's a bit of a polarisation that when people have found something which appears to be anti-establishment, that appears to be putting forward some kind of an alternative, then people have seized on it. Um, so like with Trump, basically people voted for Trump because they couldn't vote for Hillary Clinton. And we supported Bernie Sanders um, in that election, who was the most popular politician as a as a, a stated socialist um, and still is the most popular politician um, in the US. And, and <clears throat> quite clearly, if he had gone all the way, all the evidence indicates that he, he could have won or at least would have massively cut into uh, Trump's Trump's vote. So I think it's not that the right is on the rise, but that there is this anger and this rejection um, and a seeking out of an alternative. People are expressing their anger in that way. 
And so what about here in Britain then? Because, I mean, you mentioned the EU <coughs> referendum um, and I think part of the fears that people have mm. um, is that since the vote for leave, since the Brexit vote, um, that there has been uh, a, a, sh- a shift rightwards um, here in Britain in terms of uh, politics. What do you think of that? Mm. Well, yeah, I think you're right. The the um, the Brexit vote, um, obviously, for for a layer of people, they see that as part of a process of of increased nationalism and and racism. Um, and and it's certainly true that there has been an increase in reported racist attacks um, since that vote took place, which perhaps isn't that surprising given that the rhetoric of all the main parties during that debate, the Tories led um remain and uh, and it was tories that were and ukip that were in the lead, leadership of the leave campaign as well and on both sides there was terrible anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric whipped up and when that happens then it, it does encourage a small number of people who've got racist views to get a bit more confident to carry out attacks it's a bit like when boris johnson made his remarks about the burqa just a couple of weeks ago, that there were more reported attacks on, on Muslim women um, in the immediate aftermath of that. Um, but it's also true that, in general, in society, um, social attitudes have, have gone more to the left and that uh, racist ideas, in general, um, actually have gone back. There's been some statistics in the in the social attitude survey that show a quite a dramatic change just in the last twenty years. Where now, um, I think it's just twenty one percent of the population say that they'd be concerned. Of white people say they'd be concerned if someone in their family married somebody who was black or Asian. Whereas just twenty years ago, it was almost completely the reverse of that. Um, and I think when you look at things like the Windrush scandal, which broke earlier on this year actually that shows the huge anger and outpouring of you know disgust really that there was amongst ordinary working class people about that that even the politicians who themselves have been whipping up racist ideas themselves just uh, a f- you know a few months couple of years previously were, were then turning around and saying you see it's not true that people are racist well it was you know it isn't true that people are racist they were the ones who was whipping up uh, that sort of idea. And again, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's general election manifesto, that indicates that where there is that anger is an anger against austerity and against the rich. And when an alternative is put, when that is voiced, like it was with Corbyn's manifesto, then actually it's extremely popular and it can it can cut across um, those sorts of, uh, you know, any, any tendency in, in that sort of direction. The Brexit vote, in our view, was a cry of rage and a a socialist anti-austerity alternative can provide an alternative and a voice for that rage. Yeah, I think that those on the left particularly who look at the current situation in Britain and what they see as the right um, having the the kind of balance of power in the situation uh, is extremely pessimistic, isn't it? Mm. Um, And I think that anyone who is actually you know, active, involved, out talking to working class people on the street and in the trade unions and in the mm. Jeremy Corbyn movement and stuff knows that that is not the case. That, mm. Like you say, the, there is um, certainly a polarisation, confusion and so on, but that fundamentally working class people are angry and looking for every, mm. every uh, avenue to fight back, which um, is obviously a hugely positive thing. 
Yeah, well, you just have to look at the figures, don't you? There was 15,000 that marched with this so-called Democratic Football Lads Alliance in June this year, which is obviously big. Mm. But there was 250,000 yeah. that marched against Trump and the same sort of numbers marched for the NHS um, as well, you know, so that sort of puts it in a bit of perspective, really. Yeah. Um, so, well, you mentioned the the uh, FLA there. So coming on then to the the, the side of it is, that is uh, concerning and we should be organising against, um, what what are the main features of the far right um, at the moment and the kind of the main ideas that they're putting forward? Well, I think the, ma- the main organisation that uh, is causing concern and is is this Democratic Football Lads Alliance, which has been headed up by Tommy Robinson, who used to be the leader of the English Defence League. There are other small organisations like Britain First um, and others as well, but the FLA is the main force because that is attempting to coalesce um, a, a sort of far-right mobilising force, a street force, um, and as I say, they did manage to get 15,000 people out on the streets in June. They got probably about half that in July um, when they tried to repeat um, the demonstration, which in itself is instructive because they, they linked that the second one to welcoming Trump to Britain. And as soon as they added in policies like that, then it was obviously the, you know mobilised fewer people. Um, but uh, they've been having demonstrations in different towns around the country and in central London, um, ostensibly about free speech, um, linking that to the idea of combating terrorism. Um, it's it's full of anti-Muslim rhetoric, you know, as if all Muslims are terrorists, picking up on um, child abuse and and as if you know the only pe- you know whenever there's any child abuse, it's all to do with Muslims. Principally, I think they're sort of they they're they're. they're trying to target into this idea that no one speaks for us, you know, that we're, we're the only ones who are standing up and speaking for ordinary white working class people and that uh, that they're being gagged and shut down. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the, that's the surface that they, 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 they put forward. But in reality, they are trying to get this far-right force together. They've invited far-right leaders from different European countries to come and speak they're reportedly being supported by Steve Bannon, who's from the the new far right, the alt right, um, in the US. You know, he was former advisor to Trump. He claims he's going to put up a million pounds to help to build a new far right movement. So, you know, that that's what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, um, I think just as a side note, and in, another interesting um, factor in it, isn't it, is that they try and dress themselves um, as kind of defenders of women and LGBT people mm. um, and that type of thing, which um, also relates to what we were just talking about, about how you yeah. can't claim it's just purely a shift to the right because even the far right have to, you know, mm. take, take account of the shifting consciousness and so on some of these um, social issues, which is interesting. Yes, um, and Jews. Yes, yeah. Mm. Um, but as you... Uh, you've mentioned they have had some big demonstrations which have been uh, you know has been concerning Um, to what extent do you think that indicates that there is a base of support for the DFLA among working class people well it's certainly true that they've had bigger demonstrations than any other far-right organization has for 
decades. I mean, the the previous sort of bigger uh, organisations before them, there was the English Defence League, which was mobilising people on the streets um, just a few years ago. Before that, you had the British National Party, which was um, standing in elections um, uh, in the 90s in particular, but carried on standing in the elections until relatively recently. Um, and they, they did win councillors um, and they had a London Assembly member as well at one stage. Um, but they didn't mobilise these sorts of numbers on the streets. And in fact, neither did the National Front, even going back into the um, 70s. And um, they do have about 75,000 followers on social media. So it is it is significant. Um, and obviously that does indicate that we've got to discuss this properly. They absolutely have to be countered. They are no doubt an absolute threat when they march. And they currently, you know, they they encourage uh, racists to carry out attacks. When they marched in Leeds, there was an attack on a on a, a Sikh temple and uh, and and um, and on a mosque. And after they marched in July, then as you were saying, they're a threat to the workers' movement. That was demonstrated absolutely by the fact that they attacked trade unionists, RMT activists. Mm. Um, after the march in London um, in July. So it is extremely significant. But we also have to recognise that, as we were saying earlier on, that their marches have been dwarfed by the people who have been mobilised um, on uh, on demonstrations for the NHS or against Trump or against cuts, um, and obviously also dwarfed by the number of people who've been so inspired by Corbyn's manifesto that they've joined... Um, the Labour Party, never mind the millions that, that voted for that um, manifesto. I think we'd say that while undoubtedly the core of the DFLA involves fascists, hardened racists, violent uh, racists, they're trying to exploit the fears and the genuine anger that uh, working class people have got and they've you know who've faced all these years of attacks on their living standards who've been betrayed by all the main parties by the Tories but by Blairite New Labour as well in Parliament and in councils um, but I think their actions betray them and, and uh, already the fact that they were seen to carry out that attack on RMT members already you know makes it quite clear that actually no matter what they might say, they are actually anti-working class force. So the Socialist Party, we don't just discuss these things on podcasts. Nope. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've been active in the movement, um, taking part in the protests against the DFLA, for example. And also, like you said at the start, um, we've been trying to encourage discussion and debate on what mm. tactics will be um, effective in the fight uh, against the far right. Um, and in particular, we've drafted a trade union motion, which mm. um, has been circulated and, and passed um, in some forums. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yes. Well, the reason why we've done that is because, um, obviously, as you say, the reason why we're talking about this, we do think this is serious and that we have to uh, combat it. Um, we do think that the trade union movement in particular has the power to be able to defeat the far right and to prevent any development like this going um, any further. Um, we do think that, and we, we say this in the Trade Union Resolution, that in particular, if the FLA or anything like them attempt to march in a local community, it's absolutely vital that there is a mobilisation mm -hmm. to stop them in defence um, of that community. 
that mobilisation, particularly being a mobilisation of the community, is what's key, and of the local trade union movement. And the trade unions um, can mobilise, on a local level, can mobilise hundreds if not thousands of people, of their own members and their, you know, and their members' uh, friends and families, um, if the local, if trade unions took a serious approach of having workplace meetings and so on to uh, to mobilise um, and to make it absolutely clear that, uh, you know, a body trying to march through an area like the FLA is not welcomed by that community. Um, so they can mobilise, but they can do more than that because they can also provide the essential protection uh, for demonstrations I do think it's the case that uh, when there's been small demonstrations countering quite large demonstrations of the FLA, they've been reliant on the police for protection. And obviously that puts people off. That's And we, we can't be in a situation of mobilising people and relying on the police. The police um, in, the, in the past have been used to kettle students, have beaten demonstrators, have pushed back anti-racist demonstrators to allow... Uh, far-right marches to take place we can't rely on them to to protect um, people on a counter-demonstration but that's what trade unions have got the ability to do and we think it's really important really welcome the call made by um, Steve Headley and other RMT activists following the attack that took place on the um, demonstration in July in central London for a trade union stewarding group and we would want that to be taken up really vigorously in the trade unions because you can imagine that if each trade union um, you know, discussed that with its members, encouraged its members to volunteer, you could come up with a list of hundreds of volunteers from each union. So you could have a list, you know, a really long list of volunteer trade union stewards that could be headed up by a chief steward with experience from the trade union movement. That could be a list that could be called on for any mobilisation. You could get hundreds of trade union stewards, disciplined stewards, that would uh, protect uh, a demonstration which would actually protect the demonstration and would also give people a lot more confidence to come. But also, and most crucially, the trade union trade union action to fight against austerity, to fight to protect jobs, to fight for decent pay and all of those sorts of issues for homes and so on, um, a mass working class fight, in other words, to end austerity can completely cut across support for the uh, far right. If they are attempting to grow it's because people are in despair and the trade unions can provide an, a real concrete alternative to that with a real concrete fight of mass action um, against austerity and you know putting forward that political alternative fighting for the jobs and homes and we would say for a socialist um, alternative to make that you know to make that a reality we're arguing for that we've put that in our trade union resolution and we're very pleased to say that it's been picked up it's been passed in a number of trade union bodies um, and has now actually become policy of the TUC at their Congress mm. last week, which is very important. We really welcome that. But of course, now we have to fight to make that a reality um, and also to ensure that the, you know, the willing trade union leaders and trade unionists fight to make it a reality um, as well. So I think that's our next job. Yeah, kind of, it gets to the heart, really, of what we see um, as what should be the role of trade unions, isn't it? Um, that there's a tendency for the trade unions uh, to pass this type of motion that they get from different campaign groups and think that that's enough, that they give their support to this campaign, mm. not just on the far right, but 
on the NHS, on anti-austerity campaigns, different things like that, and then to leave it to community campaigners to to do Mm. the actual uh, work, maybe donating some money or something like that. And I suppose what we try and do in our trade union motion on this issue, but also in general, is to to point out that we want the trade unions to take a lead on it, to be at the Mm. heart of it, and that that is because the trade unions are the organised working class, and it's the organised working class that we think has the power to to bring about... um, change in society and that's kind of the uh, importance of it um so what do you think has been the clearest example of why that type of approach basing uh, basing on um the working class and a political alternative uh is the right one to take well i suppose one clear recent example comes from greece where um as i'm sure our listeners will know um has faced um the most vicious austerity for for a number of years um and as well has been in the center of the refugee crisis as well with a lot of refugees um in Greece too and we have always warned that in a time of austerity that that is the possibility that racism and anti-immigrant feelings can increase um, and in Greece, a very violent far-right organisation, Golden Dawn, increased in popularity, um, winning quite significant votes in elections, even despite the fact that it was openly a violent organisation that was attacking migrants and attacking uh, campaigners, socialists and so on. Um, but when Syriza, which was a, a new uh, left party, um at that stage put forward an anti-austerity alternative then it shot to prominence and and won eventually won the um uh, general election before the government and support for golden dawn fell because people saw that there was an alternative which they hoped um would solve their problems um of course now Syriza has capitulated then that does open the door to the far right and, and to the traditional um conservative mainstream you know capitalist parties to regain um but i think that's a very clear example of how that political alternative you know the the, the far right was rising because of that despair and desperation and when a lead lead was given an alternative was given people mobilized and uh, supported that alternative yeah, I think that's a really good example um, as well. And it goes back to the point you made earlier, really, isn't it, of why we think it is essential to have these discussions on what way forward mm. and why it's wrong to just have the idea that this is so urgent, all discussion is pushed, pushed aside mm, to just all come in together. Um, because, you know, it's not a, it's not a point of um, us just being picky or something. It's that it is an essential thing. There is, mm. you know, that the far right poses Absolutely. a real risk to working class people and and to the left and to socialists. And we have to organise in a way that can actually be successful uh, mm. in stopping any kind of significant rise um, of the far right, you know, in advance of that happening. Um, mm. And then in terms of Britain, then there have been some... Uh, important campaigns historically that we've been um involved in mm. played a leading role in that have taken um that, that taken this taken type of that approach, approach that we're yeah. talking about haven't they yes yeah well um we're in the 25th anniversary this year of the campaign in the early 90s 
against the BMP, the British National Party, which um, the Socialist Party, which was then known as Militant Labour, played a prominent role in supporting youth against racism in Europe, the YRE. Because um, in the early 90s, the BMP had a headquarters in South London. Um, and in the area of their headquarters, there was a big increase when it opened um, of racist attacks, including, you know, most infamously the murder of Stephen Lawrence um, and at that time they also had a regular paper sale in Brick Lane which if anybody knows Brick Lane in Tower Hamlets it's a predominantly Bangladeshi area it was an enormous provocation to the local community that they were selling their racist material um, on that uh, street corner um, and they also they won a council seat and um, Derek Beacon won a that you know the, so the BNP won a councillor um, in Tower Hamlets and that was clearly on the basis of trying to whip up um, racism of the uh, sort of white population in Tower Hamlets, um, that idea of people being left behind. Um, and the YRE mobilised with young people and the local communities in both of those areas and with the local trade union movements in both of those areas. Um, and we recognised that to be able to not just physically defeat the BMP, but to be able to mobilise local communities, local people, that this battle, it was a physical one of mobilisation on the streets, but it was also a political one to fight for the jobs and the homes that was necessary to undercut support for the racists and to unite the working class. And as you can read in The Socialist later on this year, uh, to read the lessons about it, then, you know, there, there were real victories um, from that campaign, the BNP were driven from Brick Lane, Derek Beacon lost his council position, mm. and the BNP headquarters eventually was shut down. Okay, um, so going back in history a bit then, <laughs> um, to uh, Trotsky, we often talk about um, Trotsky's ideas when we're discussing fighting fascism in the far right, mm. uh, and particularly the tactic of the United Front that he put forward. Is that tactic still relevant today? Well, Trotsky's writings are always relevant um, and important. Um, and uh, his uh, pamphlet on fascism, what it is and how to fight it, is a, a, a small pamphlet which I think everybody should read. Um, writing in the 1930s, um, when obviously uh, fascism, we were in a, a very different historical period in relation to fascism at that stage, Trotsky was arguing for a campaign of all working class forces to defeat the rise of fascism. Um, and his writings analysed what fascism was as well as in order to draw the lessons of how to fight it and defeat it, um, explaining that uh, fascism only triumphed after the working class had been defeated, um, that it was the last resorts of the capitalists who were prepared to maintain their profit system at all costs if necessary you know, crushing the working class and its organizations there'd been mass revolutionary movements um in the in that uh, period that could have succeeded in sweeping capitalism aside um and uh, and trotsky's view was that if the working class parties and organizations had come together to fight in the interests of the working class to fight the bosses um and the capitalist system which was absolutely crisis ridden um in terrible depression 
um, then uh, and you know and had fought for a socialist alternative, then fascism wouldn't have succeeded. And while the 1930s were a very different period from today, um, that understanding that it's that working class based fight against the interests of the rich, of the bosses, that can unite workers in a common struggle for the jobs and the homes and the pay and everything that we all need, that that is what can undercut support for the far right and defeat them, then we think that fundamental lesson is essential for today. And today then, how much of a risk is fascism? Well, this isn't the 1930s. Um, Fascism isn't on the doorstep now um and in fact um i think that we would say that in the polarization that we've been talking about that's taking place under the blows of economic crisis as a result of austerity and neoliberalism this is the stirrings there is the a tremendous potential for the working class to organize and to struggle um, and to uh, you know to unite around demands that can fight in its own interests, and that there is huge potential for a mass working class fight that can sweep you know just sweep aside these attempts to uh, rebuild a far right movement, but can do more than that as well. Can also sweep aside big business governments. There is enormous potential. Um, to build the parties of the working class that can fight for that programme, that can fight for a socialist society, um, which would mean that the you know the vast wealth that there is in society is owned and controlled democratically in the interests of everybody instead of just the profits of a tiny few, and of course you know fighting for that obviously you know, completely undercut um, any attempts to rebuild a far right movement at this stage. Okay, so we started by talking about the fact that um, there are a lot of people who are concerned about this issue, but also getting angry and getting active um, around this issue. I think particularly young people, there are a lot of young people being kind of radicalised in opposition to racism and the far right at the moment. What what is our message to them? Well, that's great. (laughs) We're very glad. (laughs) And we say, yes, absolutely, get active. Go on the demonstrations, fight against the far right, but join with us in fighting for the tactics and the slogans uh, that we think are necessary that can actually win. Um, And join with us in fighting for that uh, socialist alternative. And I think we'd, we'd have to say that everything that we've said in this conversation um, is why in Britain we would say that fighting the far right is intrinsically linked to fighting to kick out the Tories, to to drive the Blairites out mm. of the Labour Party, for a, a mass movement that can not only force the Tories out, but can also um, fight to get the policies we need from a Corbyn-led government to end austerity for the jobs and the homes, the services to scrap tuition fees and for free education etc that we need from a Corbyn government we need to build a movement um, we fight um, for a mass trade union movement in the communities amongst young people for a movement that can fight for those policies that are necessary for a socialist alternative and so we'd say to all these young people to join us to fight for that as well and that's a good note to end on so thanks very much Paula thank you Do you agree with what you've just heard? 
or do you disagree or have questions? Either way, we'd like to hear your thoughts, so make sure you email us those thoughts at socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. You can find lots of resources, articles and suggested pamphlets in the episode notes at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. And we invite all listeners to come along to a meeting or activity with the Socialist Party near you to continue the discussion and so that you can get active in the struggle against racism and fascism. The biggest opportunity for that type of discussion is coming up at Socialism 2018. That's a full weekend of socialist discussion and debate in central London on the 10th and 11th of November. Organising against the far right will be one of the workshops at that event. Get your tickets now at socialism2018.net.